Switch to T-Mobile and get four lines for just 30 bucks each and the incredible iPhone 11 on us so you can take a portrait photo of the whole family with the ultra-wide camera. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, cute. Hurry into T-Mobile and get four lines for 30 bucks each and the incredible iPhone 11 on us with qualifying trade-ins. Via 24 credits for well-qualified buyers with auto pay plus taxes and fees. If you cancel before receiving 24 credits, you may owe up to the full value of your device of $699.99. Contact us. Finance agreements required. Welcome to a new episode of Broadband Growth Stories Podcast. This is your host, Varun Mittal. Are you daydreaming about your product idea? If yes, let's acknowledge those unanswered questions on top of your mind as aspiring product entrepreneurs. Should I leave my high paying established job and take a plunge into entrepreneurship? Do I have that promising product idea? Or am I going to manage personal expenses without salary? How do I achieve that product market fit? Or when do I start making money? Know the unknown before you take the plunge. My guest is a recent SaaS product entrepreneur, Puneet Kataria, founder of Customer Success Box. He recently raised funding of $1 million US million for his startup. In this episode, I talked with Puneet about his startup journey from getting an idea to leaving his established corporate career and building a product company. Hello, Puneet. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Varun. Pleasure to be invited. Thanks for doing this. So I'm really excited to have you here. So you were the sales VP at Kayako before your startup. Tell us about your journey from being a sales leader in your professional life to being an entrepreneur. Interesting question. That's that's a fairly detailed one. So before heading um, sales for Kayako, um, I'd had uh, 15 years of career um, successful career in the corporate world. I've, I've hopped around 10, 12 organizations, played different roles, started as an engineer, got into the sales world. And uh, for about 12, 13 years, I've, I've done sales after that. And all through my journey, I essentially was moving from larger size organization. I was part of IBM, Honeywell. Honeywell is a Fortune 25 company, uh, more than 150 years old. IBM is more than 100 years old. So from all these large mammoth organizations to smaller and smaller organizations because I found them a lot more attractive, primarily because of one reason, because of the pace at which things were moving. And uh, I enjoyed making fast decisions. I enjoyed, if I can think of something, implement it the next week, take it to the market the following week um, and and look at the impact uh, on the third week. On the fourth week, we are saying, was this experiment successful or a failure? And um, I just loved the pace, which kept driving me to smaller organizations, which have less bureaucracy, all of that stuff. And uh, in, on the side, I was helping some other startups as well. So sort of playing the startup game on the edge, never having enough courage to to sort of dive in. And while I was I was doing that, I was very successful in the corporate career. So there was never really a, there was never a push factor from the corporate life for me to dive into the startup world. But there was a huge pull, which essentially developed over time. I think I took good about five, seven years to play on the edge, on the side, staying on the fence, staying outside the swimming pool, just dipping my toes in when I could, when I wanted, but never diving in fully. But it was very clear that my calling was very much there in the startup world. Again, 
The pace of the entire startup land uh, was extremely attractive. Um, the amount of creativity that you can do was was amazing, and the impact that you can have. You know, at the end of the day, you would have achieved some purpose in life. You would have made some little dent somewhere in this huge world of which we are a very tiny part otherwise. So I must say that is a very interesting journey you had so far. So talking about entrepreneurship, it all starts with that promising idea or a zeal to become an entrepreneur. So what was your driver? So yes, entrepreneurship by itself is is very attractive. And then your, your idea is sort of become the, the justification around it. Uh, so it's like saying, okay, I like adventure and then some sports or some adventure sport becomes your, your justification of following that uh, adrenaline rush. So entrepreneurship by itself gives you a lot of that. The idea in, in this case was a, was a very natural idea. I've all through been in the product space, so about 16, 17 years I've, I've spent only in product companies. Um, and over time I moved, uh, I've seen SaaS since 2006. I've been selling SaaS products since 2006. Um, and I've seen SaaS develop. Eventually, um, with, with, with Kayako, uh, I was able to see what happens because I was selling a, um, a support platform, essentially. So that was the first time while leading sales, I, I sort of had a glimpse into the world post-sales. And that gave me a very interesting uh, you know, perspective um, and it also gave me a very unique vantage point of, uh, you know, looking at how the, how the entire life cycle journey of a, of a customer uh, works. And uh, interestingly, my, my, my first company that I decided to do uh, was essentially around advocacy, uh, customer advocacy. And why we, why we actually uh, picked up that space uh, to be, to be very honest um, we were looking for a space where I where I knew I wanted to be successful in sales so I thought okay which is that place which is not um, crowded which is a place where you don't have a lot of uh, uh, com- uh, competitors but it is an obvious uh, future um, uh, battleground for, for a lot of a lot of companies and I wanted to go there and establish myself so we uh, so we looked at advocacy marketing, uh, there was just one company, Influitive, which was playing in that space. Um, and there were lots of companies in the community uh, space, uh, community building space, but uh, even community building space itself was um, was sort of picking up in the B2B world. Um, and But specifically on advocacy, Influitive was the only one. And Influitive had already pumped in uh, a good $40, $50 million, uh, I believe, uh, what they had at that point in time of, uh, of investors' capital uh, to educate the market uh, to quite some extent. And we felt that um, the, there is uh, a decent demand and the education has already gone in, but there's not a lot of competition. Essentially a space which uh, I felt was under the radar. So as you can see, the amount of thinking that, uh, that went in uh, to, to deciding um, what really we uh, wanted to go after. Um, so we, I, I pretty much applied every, every brain cell to, um, to figure out the market I wanted to chase. And a uh, year and a half later, uh, only to realize that I think I was just trying to be over smart. Uh, that product didn't go anywhere. Um, I, I don't know whether it was the market or the product or our entire approach. So I won't, I won't get into that. 
but that product didn't go anywhere. And then eventually we had to pivot to what we are doing now, which is uh, a customer success box. And now we are in the customer success space. Um, customer, why customer success? Um, uh, again, uh, I was instrumental um, uh, at Kayako to, uh, to look at, like I was mentioning, uh, look at what happened post-sales. And that world was dramatically changing. So as subscription economy was replacing the traditional ownership economy, um, customer was becoming more and more powerful. Customer was getting, the, uh, getting empowerment to, uh, to fire a customer, uh, sorry, to fire the vendor. Um, and a whole lot of underlying changes were happening, which was very visible to me. So I experienced a world, I saw a world, I played in that world, I understood the problems, I understood the needs, because those were the exact same challenges I faced. I even tried different technologies available at that point in time, rolled out some of some of the products that I compete with today, um, and, and felt the, the gaps of those product and technologies, which was, uh, which was being, uh, uh, which I myself tried to adapt. Um, to to fix the the leak in the funnel, uh, sorry to fix the leak in the in the bucket, and um, mm. and so essentially, if you if you ask me uh, why customer success, I'm it's a it's an obvious problem, it's a growing problem, it's a it's a it's a pain that I myself had in my previous avatar. So uh, if you ask me who's my best customer, I'm going to be my best customer back in time. Uh, you know, back in my last avatar. So it's, it was such a natural choice for me. Uh, Puneet, does your past experience influence the space you want to get into? Because I see a lot of similarity. Uh, if I, you know, if we talk about your role as VP sales, where one part of your job is growth uh, or retention, and then the kind of product you worked previously was around customer service and then customer success and advocacy. So I see a link between these. Any thoughts? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, completely. So I, I'm a firm believer in what I call circle of competence. Um, and I'm not sure how many of, how many of your uh, listeners um, read Warren Buffet. And uh, this is a concept which, which comes from uh, 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 Warren Buffett himself and where he talks about that you need to recognize what is your circle of competence, what you are really good at, and you should never um, sort of the, the best chances, the best probability you have of succeeding is within your circle of competence. So after giving uh, 15, 16, 17 years of my, of my career into understanding products, selling software, understanding the SaaS space, and then doing that for about four or five years myself, um, uh, the customer success uh, part of it, uh, it was very clear and very straightforward to me to, uh, to stick to that space. I wouldn't have picked up, say, something which, is, uh, which I've never done, for example, solving, let's say, a B2C retail problem. I've always done B2B uh, products, software products, and, uh, and that's my circle of competence for sure. Hmm. So you had the zeal and you had that idea. Uh, but you also had a successful career, you know, with great position and money you, you were getting. I want to know what was going in your mind when you were evaluating entrepreneurship as a next step. And what kind of opportunities and risk were you looking at in your decision making? Uh, interesting. So, yes, you're right. Entrepreneurs emerge uh, for, for multiple reasons. Sometimes, you know, uh, there is a slowdown of the economy and uh, there are not enough opportunities of growth. And you sort of... Uh, uh, feel okay, you know. If somebody, nobody else is giving me an opportunity, let me create one myself, and that's it. You know, I've seen a lot of entrepreneurship emerge out of there. Uh, uh, people get bad bosses uh, one after another, and they they say, "Hey, 
my boss was not good and I was just, I just decided not to serve anybody else ever. So I decided to, you know, do my own thing. Um, people say I'm not, just not getting growth. I was not getting enough money. There, there are a whole bunch of reasons why people start on, on uh, the entrepreneurship journey and then leave uh, a typical corporate career. In my case, um, very interestingly, um, uh, I had none of those issues. I had a very, very good corporate run. Uh, I enjoyed it to the last minute. I, you know, frankly, if I had to go back ever, I, I wouldn't mind at all. I, um, it was a very nice run. I uh, enjoyed every bit of it. I always had good bosses, great colleagues, smart people around me, um, challenging new things, was able to do business on my own terms, was able to work on my own terms, um, um, and was, yes, getting a lot of financial rewards as well. So, so the future was, was fairly secure. But, you know, every time you're, you're looking for the new challenge, you, um, again, I, I believe throwing myself into, into out of my comfort zone uh, every time so that I can keep challenging myself uh, to, to learn something new. Uh, that is exactly what drove me to, uh, to, you know, moving from, I started my career as a, as an engineer, from engineer to, to moving to sales and then, you know, sales leadership, different, in different parts of the world, all of that stuff. And I just continued on the same trend essentially. Uh, and the next venture was not to pick up uh, another sales job, another sales leadership job. Uh, that would have been, you know, so much been there, done that uh, sort of thing. So I needed the next challenge in life. I'd even done uh, on the fence sort of advisory roles for, for other startups. So the next thing was to just go all chips in, uh, dive in completely and then see, you know, if, um, if that was adventurous enough. Uh, so that's what that's what drove me. Uh, the the monetary aspect, since you mentioned, uh, so beyond the point, you know, typically, if you if you look at the world that we all live in, uh, there is not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of things that you can spend on anymore. Interestingly, you you can't buy anything beyond an iPhone X, and you pretty much don't need anything else. Uh, I don't even have an iPhone X right now because I, I'm pretty satisfied with my six X that I six uh, S that I have or any other gadget that I that I use. I have a Mac that, that works for me on my as my workhorse, which is again a 2015 model. I just never it just never ran out of juice, so I never felt the need to even upgrade it. I have a car which which is comfortable, runs in air conditioning, takes me from point A to point B. I just get it serviced on time. I just never felt the need to to buy the fastest because uh, because of the roads that you already know. Uh, that we that we run these cars on, so there's no point getting an engine which is never going to get tested. Uh, uh, once you once you reach a certain threshold of money, any any monetary aspects you gain out of it, they don't really impact your day to day life. Uh, your your lifestyle then pretty much stays uh, pretty much the same. Uh, so that stops becoming a driver. So that's uh, so money was was not really such a huge concern. I was not moving away from a gigantic luxurious life to to something unusual. My lifestyle hasn't changed. If there are listeners who, 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 are, who are right now in a corporate job, having a, having a great career, um, and want to, want to move on to, to doing a product entrepreneurship, so first of all, you know, there's nothing wrong with a corporate, uh, you know, being a corporate career. So if you want to continue doing that, you know, it's, it's a nice place to be in. Uh, you don't have to jump. Don't, don't get motivated just by reading a bunch of newspapers. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of hard work more work than I ever did in my last 16, 17 years. Um, cool. Uh, so that was a warning. Uh, having said that, um, whenever you're diving in, um, so when I, when, I, when, I, uh, when I knew what I wanted to do, um, I knew how to do it. I'd, I'd sold for donkey years. I knew exactly what to sell, where to sell, how to pitch, how to message, how to market it. 
how to even make customers successful. Um, I've, I was an engineer. I, I can still code like I'll do a hello world on Ruby on Rails and, 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 you know, punch in air and say, I can still code, but I can still code. I, I still sit by my co-founder at times and debug at the code level. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, but in spite of, you know, all of that background, I was very clear that, Hey, I'm going to jump in and I'll be successful. You know, there is no reason why I'm going to fail. I know exactly what I, what I'm diving in. And, uh, I was just almost guaranteed of success and I needed no validation from anyone else. I was just so confident because of the hard work and experience that I, uh, that I've done over the, you know, uh, in the, in the years leading up to this, this moment. I think you, you are a very humble person. So, uh, okay. So I think let's, let's now deep dive into, uh, building the product itself because, once uh, you know you have that zeal you have that idea and the space you want to get into and then you want to take that risk so one thing you will start with is building the product so uh, let me ask you uh, about product market fit any pivots in ideation or direction as you started building mvp and then finding that uh, ideal product market fit any advice you would like to give to aspiring product entrepreneurs so again, I'll continue to take the exact same approach. I, um, now, this was a space I knew very well. This customer success was a space I knew very well. Uh, it was a space that I have uh, I've sort of played a role in. I've led it. I've, I've rolled it out as practice. Um, I've even played the technology, um, sorry, adopted technology, used the technology. I've spoken to, while I was trying to sell my advocacy marketing uh, software, I spoke to about 100 founders, uh, CEOs, and leaders, uh, both here in India and also in San Francisco and other parts of the world. Um, and I, in the process, I learned a lot about, you know, what are their thoughts about, about customer success and other, other spaces. But in spite of all of that, uh, when, I, uh, when I decided to jump in, I said, I'm not going to build exactly what I know that the world needs. Because, uh, again, uh, that is something that you know now. This is based on your current knowledge, but, but as time progresses, your knowledge will, you will get more data points, you'll get more stories, you'll, you'll, you'll understand more personas, more pain points, more nuances of the space, and your understanding of that, of that space is going to improve. And hence, you should defer the decisions. So I, I know I'm, I'm talking about something which is counterintuitive. Um, uh, I'm not sure how many of you are familiar about this concept, which is called last moment of responsibility. For example, um, if I if I ask you uh, that um, uh, that you are going to let's say a trip in Europe, um, and um, what will you wear on the on the weekend uh, or maybe the Friday evening uh, that you plan to spend, let's say uh, um, at Paris, and uh, and while you can make a decision now, uh, but chances are you don't know enough of where are you going on that friday uh what is what sort of a mood you are in are you going to a, are you going to a, a a pub are you going to a dancing place are you going to um have a maybe a romantic evening if you're traveling with your spouse uh, you you don't know all of those decisions uh, you don't know all of those uh, uh facts today uh, so rather than making that decision now you want to defer that decision out last moment uh of responsibility 
till the moment you know where you have to take that decision uh, because at that point in time you will have the maximum amount of information available to you to make that decision so so here is here is what i mean um i think before we get to product market fit you need to understand the concept of mvp um and i'm sure all your listeners are very well aware of mvp but um uh, but we all try to overdo mvp itself mvp is not a brick on brick layer of you know first we first we put one brick um, and then we put another brick and another brick and we sort of layer it brick over brick uh, it is actually like painting a picture you 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 just do a pencil sketch to start with and then uh, uh, you say okay this is looking good you show it to somebody hey is the sketch looking okay says yeah this is going in the right direction and then you start maybe using a slightly darker shade of the pencil and at some point you pick up some colors and then you keep coming back and you keep coming to that eye you keep coming that eyebrow and you keep highlighting the the eye uh, the eyeballs and so you keep coming back to the same part that you'd painted earlier uh, whereas in that brick structuring you never go back and retouch the the last brick which was you know once planted um, so the approach of mvp should be whatever you whatever you build you build just enough for for you to get uh, um feedback to see are people even interested in using it are they getting or uh, or sort of uh, is there any value in that uh, and that validation is what you're looking at so every mvp is just an experiment everything that you release is just an experiment uh, product market fit is not something that you'll bump into by accident product market fit is something that you design to get to if you roll out a 100% complete product on day 1 then you are playing a huge gamble you 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 have taken all the decisions with uh uh with very little and definitely incomplete information and um uh, what you've uh, what you've done is spend maximum amount of your resources and time and money and effort uh and now you are you are you're sort of you can only go two ways from there you you can either be super successful or 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 you can absolutely crash because there is no improvement scope because you run out of your your taxi there um and there is you're going to hit the wall unless you take off um so so coming back uh, so product market fit uh, is something that you designed to get to so you release one feature give it in the hands of the user and say hey are you going to pay for this is this value enough and very likely they're going to come back say hey you know what maybe if you add this little and or some might say i don't even have this problem all right i have this problem but this is not priority number 1 for me you know come back next year we will we'll talk about it um and then you say okay shit this didn't go well so let me let me pick up uh, another angle at it or maybe same problem or some other problem and that you need to do continuously to keep improving uh, keep doing so the way we do it is um we we design uh, uh first of all we we talk about the concept then we take it um to our prospects and say hey this is what we are thinking of building do you think this is a valid use case or what are your use cases if i give you a solution like this will this work and i will literally show um hand sketches or something which we've done on maybe sketch and say if i give you a ui like this because when they see it they they can quickly say yes this is what i want or no i don't want this or maybe i'm not able to understand um and then we once we once we start heading towards you know building some some uh, solution then we translate that into a a formal ui design and then we take the same ui design back to either the same customer or sometimes different set of customers depending on whether you have enough um, uh, enough of availability of all these 
uh, all these real prospects. And you don't want to go back to somebody who knows you. You want to literally take it to the market who, who have no connection, who have no social obligation to encourage you to do entrepreneurship and tell you that your product is good. Uh, so you want to take it to, to somebody who can be very candid. You want to give them that atmosphere. And I, and I make sure I explain it to them and say, hey, I'm not looking for encouragement here. If you don't tell me why uh, you know, this uh, design or the solution sucks, um, then if you don't tell me this sucks, whereas it actually sucks, and then I go ahead and build it, and after that, nobody's going to buy it, I'm going to crash and burn and I'm going to come back and blame you. So I'm giving you the responsibility to tell me uh, exactly why this sucks and you have to help me improve this. And if it does not work, please, please be upfront and candid. And um, once you set that sort of expectation right up front uh, to whoever you're, you're getting that feedback from, you're likely to get very, very genuine um, uh, and very detailed. Uh, actually, details depends on how you, how you sort of uh, interview them. You need to get into at least five levels of why. Uh, to, to dig down to the detail, but uh, but that is the but is that with, with that sort of a background, uh, you take your design first, your uh, mockups, then your real design, and then only after they approve of the real design, you you ever speak to a developer, and then that's when your engineering kicks and say, okay, what is the bare minimum? F- functioning product that we can make your design might have like 20 components drop everything just just look for that one component that you can deliver like when we released our first product uh, it had so many things that we had designed and our ui was completely done but the only function out of the you know maybe 30 40 50 functionalities which are there in one of our key pages uh, of the product uh, only one thing worked that's it and we took it to people and said is this this is all. And they say, okay, what happens if I do this? I says, all that is work in progress. Nothing else works. All you're getting is uh, a good quality customer health uh, score. Uh, you will know who is going to, um, who's going to churn out of your subscription customer who's at the risk of churning out so that you can, your team can act proactively, who's likely to buy more and who's likely to renew. And that's all that we, that that's all that we offered. Excuse me. That's all that we offered. And, um, and, and we had our first customer, uh, pure play, no referral, um, uh, ready to pay us in, in three weeks from, from, from the launch. Um, yeah. So, and the entire demonstration was, you know, the entire demonstration, the conversation lasted just 15 minutes. We had nothing to show at that point in time, literally. Uh, that's how, uh, that was the state of the product. Yeah. So for such an early stage product, do you recommend a complete uh, functionality around one feature or maybe two features rather than having multiple set of things which are incomplete or, uh, you know, maybe at some design stage when you are at product market fit? Good question. So... Um, so, so Varun, the, the way the way I look at again, you know, what is that feature set that you need to take to the market? Is for example, um, uh, you need to understand what is the core value your product provides. Okay, uh, let's take an example that, uh, that that you know everybody can understand. So let's talk about a CRM, for example. Uh, a CRM offers multiple core values. Maybe one of the values is the ability to capture you know leads from the website and uh, push it to the relevant uh, uh, relevant sales reps pipeline or you know their their queue mm. immediately so that your response time to the leads improve and this is one one of many advantages the crm provides and let's say 
this is the only, um, uh, let's say this is one of the core values. Uh, now, if you have to build the product with just this one value preposition around it, uh, what all will you build? Uh, you need to build, of course, uh, a, a basic product will have access control, a basic product will have ability to add users, a basic product will have ability to design those forms because they're going to go on your website, ability to have uh, ability to have, uh, you know, an email notification sent out, ability to have you maybe a push notification, maybe a, maybe a mobile notification. So, so you, as you can see, the, the list is endless. And out of this entire list, what is the core value that your product provides? What is that soul of the, uh, of, of that, of that product and what is that key pain point that you are trying to solve for your your uh, for your prospective customers and if the key pain point is hey this guy has never been digital or they've been digital but whenever they get lead they you know they get lost and uh, sales reps are simply not able to respond in time so very simple thing if i can do if i can just take let's say even a google form put it on the website and whenever somebody fills that Google form, um, that email gets round robin into, or maybe even just one rep, uh, it, it just gets sent out to that one rep. And if within 24 hours, that rep has not responded to that email, maybe a reminder shows up and that's it. And maybe it gets escalated. That's, that's all is, is what, what you need. You don't have to worry about um, how are customers going to pay, how are they going to add users to it, what is going to be the access control. Just forget about all of that. People are not going to buy this product because you're going to build the best access control of, uh, you know, around this particular feature. That's not going to be the reason why people are going to pay for your product. So understand that soul. And I, I would say why even multiple, just one, just one core pain point that you're solving that's good enough. Don't even think of yourself as a platform at that stage. You're just thinking of yourself as a tool. So I think this is one of the best advice I've got on MVP, you know, amazing lines, just understand the soul of the product and then design something around that. So I think that is really interesting. Uh, when we are at such an early stage of building the product and finding, uh, you know, product market fit, what kind of meaningful goals one should look at uh, for accomplishing even when you're not making money? Okay, this is this is a very good question and, and requires a lot of um, and a very good question requires a lot of thinking. Um, so, and I don't know if you've got the right answers. There are multiple you know versions of it, and I look at it in two ways. One, um, you want to quickly find out if you've built or have you building something which is of any value, and uh, uh, and having been a sales guy, uh, I believe uh, money on the table is the ultimate proof of value. If nobody is willing to pay you, um, uh, that means you're not building anything of value. Just giving something for free is uh, extremely bad idea. Uh, I will not encourage you to do so uh, or anyone to do so. However, I'm very comfortable if your first 10 customers you know, pay you what is called beer money, just enough money uh, with which you can buy one pint of beer and that's it. Uh, so... So even if somebody is willing to pay you a hundred bucks, uh, you know, nine dollars, uh, excuse me, a hundred bucks or nine dollars, whatever that amount is, um, that's that's good enough. But uh, but it's it's a lot. It's like a hundred times better than than offering it for free. That's number one. And the second most important thing that you want to see is. If, for example, let's continue building on the, that example that we used. Uh, if you build that lead 
capturing and lead uh, assignment product, uh, then is your customer using it for lead capturing and lead assignment? And then are those reps acting on those leads? Uh, is the product being used? And that's your that's your part two. And the first um, sign of somebody using the product is because obviously you're going to be an MVP, so it'll keep uh, keep crashing. You know, half the things will not work. They will not work as expected. The UI is going to be um, uh, you know pretty shady. People people getting lost in that UI, and you want those messages, those phone calls, those emails to come back in where the customers are calling you. Hey, how do I do this? And um, uh, I'll give you a little bit more extreme advice. Sometimes those early customers just might get frustrated. You know, they might give you a chance for a week, two weeks, three weeks, one month, two months, and they'll just get frustrated and say, you know what, this is not working out. Um, thanks, we like your intention. It's not working out for us. Uh, we can't do it anymore. But what would have happened in those last two weeks or two months for as long as these guys, uh, as long as these pilot uh, early adopters stay, is they would have taken your product from, let's say, level one to level 1.1 or level, you know, in fact, let me let me name the levels right from level 0.1 to maybe level 0.2 um, and then you bring in the next set of customers and they'll take it from 0.2 to 0.3 and so on and so forth and with every conversation that you have with customers um, you, um, you you learn a lot the hack I will tell you and this is what Everybody tells you is speak to your customers, speak to your customers, speak to your customers. The problem is, how do you get those first two, five, ten customers who are going to get you that the real feedback? And is two enough number? Is ten enough number uh, of a feedback? Uh, actually, even five, ten is is a good enough number. But the problem is, um, we we all get lost in this, um, uh, ending up with who, whichever uh, you know, we we end up with so many variety of personas that all of them have a very different expectation, very different problem, very different backdrop, background, uh, very different scenarios that we think that they are all alike, uh, but they are actually taking and steering the product uh, in, in different directions. And that becomes, uh, and that becomes a, a, a challenge. So 10 is a good number as long as you can get to the right 10 or right 5. Uh, but how do you get to that right 5 or right 10? For that, you need to speak to at least 50. And that is where I say just not just customers, every demonstration you get to, anybody who, who talks about, anybody who's willing to talk about the problem statement, that conversation on the demonstration, ask for feedback at every step. And, um, and you make sure you, 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 know, you set the expectations right, saying that I need candid feedback, need it now, uh, and encourage them to, to be very open and upfront with you. Um, give them that comfort of that you have a thick skin and you, you, you want to know uh, what is not working and try to each of those conversation is pretty much like a, a proxy customer feedback. Yes. They're not using your product as much, but you'll start getting to know whether uh, what is the gap between they uh, willing to pay for your, your product or not. And once they've started paying, then you obviously fall into the customer land and then uh, the, the adoption becomes your key. All right, so we have come to the end of this episode. Uh, thank you so much, Puneet, for your deep insights into kickstarting product entrepreneurship journey. I'm sure this is going to inspire upcoming entrepreneurs across the globe. Uh, how can our listeners reach out to you for any more questions on this, Puneet? Sure, uh, I'm reachable uh, at Puneet at customersuccessbox.com. Uh, that's P-U-N-E-E-T at customersuccessbox.com. It's um, it's, it's a simple spelling, no, no, no trick spellings there. 
and and you can find me directly on that email. Uh, I try to answer all the all the emails within 24 hours myself. Um, so hopefully, um, I'll be happy to receive any of those. Yeah. Great. Thanks to all of you who are listening. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to this channel. Uh, we would look for your encouraging comments so that we could bring much more exciting topics on product management and marketing. Till then, I wish you an exciting product and growth journey. Switch to T-Mobile and get four lines for just 30 bucks each and the incredible iPhone 11 on us so you can take a portrait photo of the whole family with the ultra-wide camera. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, cute. Hurry into T-Mobile and get four lines for 30 bucks each and the incredible iPhone 11 on us with qualifying trade-ins. Via 24 credits for well-qualified buyers with auto pay plus taxes and fees. If you cancel before receiving 24 credits, you may owe up to the full value of your device of $699.99. Contact us. Finance agreements required.